We turn in God's Word this morning, again to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, as we continue our study of this book, we'll be in 2 Corinthians 8 both this morning and this evening. This morning we'll consider verses 1 through 15, and then tonight we'll consider from verse 16 on as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Here is God's word to us. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us accordingly, We urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment, this befits you, benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, and that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Thus far the reading of God's Word. Let's bow in prayer. Father, once again we thank you for the written Word. We thank you for the fact that we may hear it proclaimed to us. We pray that a good pastor Bob, the words he needs, the courage he needs to preach the truth, that as you directed him when he wrote the sermon, when you would direct him now. We pray that we may hear your word proclaimed to us, that it may help us to understand you and live a more holy life. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. For those of you who are visiting for the very first time, uh, let me just point out to you the fact that this is a uh, series of messages on 2 Corinthians. And so uh, as... We understand it as God's word is preached expositorily, which means 
uh, in succession, passage after passage. We, we come to this text this morning, and I don't know your, all of your backgrounds who are here for the first time. Maybe uh, you uh, have a suspicion that churches are all about getting your money, and now you've stepped into Little Farms this morning, and lo and behold, the first sermon you hear from Little Farms is about giving. Let me assure you that uh, it wasn't planned for your visit, but God in his providence placed this passage before us this morning. Secondly, let me say to those of you who are members of Little Farms uh, that this is, is not a plea, this is not a call, this is not a chewing out in any way, shape, or form. In fact, I think it needs to be said at the onset that you are to be thanked for your generosity for this past year, not only for our general fund, but for missions, for denominational and presbytery causes, the various mission agencies that we give to um, is indeed a great blessing. Our youth group has benefited from your generosity as well. Um, it is not the lack of giving. Okay, So we're, we're just in the sequence here of this passage. And there isn't some sort of hidden agenda about, oh, something's coming up and they need more money. That is not there. I also want to point out the fact that we are indeed blessed to be in the situation we are in. As I have opportunity to pick up bulletins from time to time from other churches, other congregations, just one of those things I do, oftentimes it's noted in those bulletins that, their church is running a deficit. I picked up a, a bulletin from a congregation a couple of weeks ago. Every single one of their funds was thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars behind. One could look at that and say, well, that may have been a budgeting problem. It might be a spending problem. It might be a giving problem. No, no, but I just look at it and think something's not right here in the church of God to continue to see those deficits run. Something isn't right. That, that's not the way we should be conducting ourselves. But we don't end up with that situation, at least at this point in time in our history. God has been very gracious. God has been very good. And you have been very faithful in giving. But let us look at this passage this morning to, to think about this passage in terms of an encouragement for you to continue to do what you are doing. That one. Or two, perhaps there are a few of you who need some urging. Maybe others are carrying the ball and you've kind of let things slip. Or at least let us look at this passage as a foundation that Paul is giving about why we give, why we contribute to the work of the kingdom. Let's do that. Uh, actually, the, the whole section goes all the way through chapter 9. Um, it, it's, it, the whole section Paul is dealing with encompasses 8 and 9, um, but we'll break it up into parts or else that'd be a really long sermon. So first of all, I want you to see that Paul in the first five verses gives us a model of this giving. And it's called the Macedonian model. Secondly, the second major point of this morning is 
the Corinthian completion. Paul is urging the church at Corinth to complete that which they have started, reflecting upon the Macedonian model. Now let's dig into that. What, what, what's going on there in this Macedonian model? Well, first of all, I want you to note that when Paul begins this section, he begins by talking about grace. Look with me again at verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that was given amongst the churches of Macedonia. Now, now we know that when oftentimes we talk about grace, even as we sung about it okay, in Newton's famous hymn, we're, we're thinking about grace in terms of our salvation. We're, we think about grace in terms of God's undeserved favor towards us in that we who were sinners, God has saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. That is for certain the overarching understanding of grace. But that's not what Paul is talking about here when he uses the term grace. Now, yes, you can never dismiss it from the salvation, and that which the Macedonians are doing is because they have been saved by God's grace. But what Paul is saying is there are other characteristics, there are other evidences in our lives as Christians that are demonstrations that God pours out grace upon grace. God's grace is not only that he saves. God's grace is that he enables. He enables us to live for him. See, that's a grace too. He enables us to pray. He creates within us a desire to pray. That's God's grace. The fact that there is a desire in your heart to come to worship to glorify Him, that that as the deer our heart pants for the Lord. That's grace. See, that doesn't just come from us. That's God's grace being poured out. Not necessarily in terms of our salvation, but in other Christian virtues. Paul here in chapter 8 is saying even the act of giving is a grace of God. The desire, okay, the desire that God gives in our hearts to give abundantly is grace. We would not do this on our own. On our own, we are sinful, rebellious, selfish, eye-centered sinners. And it is only by God's grace that he transforms us into those who are willing to part with our money for Christ's sake, as one commentator put it. That, that, that was just a brilliant way of stating it. God's grace comes to us, not in terms of our salvation, but in terms of God creating within us a desire to part with, with that which is... Is, is perhaps the, the dearest idol that many know. Their gold, their silver, their money, their funds. God enables we sinners who want to keep it all for ourselves 
hoard it all for ourselves, spend it all on ourselves, God enables us by grace to become those who desire to give for the sake of Christ, for the glory of Christ. We gain nothing from it. It's a completely selfless act. That, Paul says, you see, at the onset, is the grace of God. Now he talks about that grace having been given to these churches in Macedonia. Well, what does he note about these churches? One, he notes the fact that the churches who have already given have done so out of extreme poverty. See, this is something that began with Paul back in 1 Corinthians, I believe it's chapter 16. We already know there is a situation going on in the church world of that day. The church in Jerusalem is going through an extreme time of poverty. It appears a famine descended upon Jerusalem, upon Israel, and the church there in Jerusalem is suffering immensely as a result of that famine. The church has has asked for help, for support. Paul, being commissioned by the church, is going around collecting funds, not for himself, but for this church in Jerusalem. So he went to the churches in Acacia, the churches uh, uh, that that he had founded and started, and he explained the situation, those churches gave. He went to Macedonia, those churches gave. The Corinthians he went to, presented it, they said, yeah, we ought to do it. It's now more than a year later And they haven't done it yet. Paul is stepping back and saying, you've got to finish this. Let, Let me give you what's happened in Macedonia. These people, the church is up there, and we're probably talking about the church of Philippi, um, maybe the church at Thessalonica. We know there were believers in Berea, although there never seems that a church was established there. But at least those places we know that there were believers. There's evidence in Philippians uh, chapter 4, 15, I believe it is, that that they had already given this gift and, and Paul was appreciative of it. So maybe he's only noting the church at Philippi. Whichever it was, all three or, or just the one, he's saying those churches gave out of a situation in which they themselves, are dealing with hardships. And you know, when you go back into the the book of Acts, chapter 16 and so on, where it talks about the founding of these churches, the founding of the church at Philippi and Thessalonica, they are founded in the midst of some pretty severe persecution. These were not churches, it seems, where there was a heavy concentration of God-fearing people a nucleus out of which the church is born. But it was, it was generally Greeks, and, and, and they were just persecuted. This is the place where Paul is beaten, put in prison, where the Philippian jailer 
is converted. So maybe their poverty has to do with their Christianity. Maybe their poverty has come about them and because they're refusing to participate in a lot of the idolatry of those cities. Maybe some of their businesses had to close up because as Christians they couldn't engage in the same business they were in. We don't know all the circumstances other than Paul saying that this was, verse 2, a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy, and their extreme poverty. They're not just poor, they're extremely poor. Yet, yet, Paul notes, they gave for the saints that are in Jerusalem. They gave to this cause out of their poverty. How much this reminds us, doesn't it, of the passage in Luke chapter 21 where they're observing Jesus and the disciples, those who are coming to the temple and giving their gifts. And up walks this this widow. She puts in her, her two mites. There was probably some laughter, maybe some scoffing. See, the, the way this was probably designed is you could probably hear the amount going in. So as somebody would put it in, you could hear the clunk, knowing, wow, they gave quite a bit. She probably put her hand out, put her couple of mites in, and it might have ding, ding. Scoffing. Jesus stops and says, no, 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 no. This woman, this woman gave all she had. This woman gave out of her poverty. She has given more than all the others. In essence, that's what Paul is doing here in, in looking at these churches in Macedonia. He say, look, they're giving for a cause, a purpose, out of their poverty. And their giving is an overflowing generosity. One commentator said the true proof of a Christian, and I don't know if I would go along with the whole thing, but there's something that rings true in this statement. Commentator said the true proof of Christianity is if you're willing to help others when you yourself are suffering. He went on to explain, he said, is that not truly what Christ did? That in the midst of his suffering, he thinks not of himself, but he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That in the midst of all of our pain, even physical pain, to think of another in the midst of our pain, rather than seeking to absorb the sympathy for ourselves, truly is a mark of a heart that has been converted and changed. I'll never forget, uh, for some of you, you, you don't know our brother John Vanderwert. Okay? You, you did not have the privilege of meeting him here in this life. Let me assure you, you will meet him in glory. I can, I can still recall the fact that as he's going through his various treatments, he's sitting there in a hospital bed and I, I, in the bottom floor over at Blodgett, and, and he's talking to another man about Christ. He was more concerned about that man's soul than he was about his own pain, his own suffering. There is a Christ-likeness. 
That's what the Macedonians are doing. See, in the midst of their poverty, it has overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. They gave according to their means. Now what he's saying is the offering isn't much. If you look at the total amount, if you look at what is coming in, if you look at at what's in the bag, so to speak, you'd say, well, that isn't much. But Paul says, I know the circumstances out of which they gave. And you know what? When I see how much these churches in Macedonia gave, I'm overwhelmed by it. Because they went above and beyond. They went beyond their means of their own accord. I didn't have to beg. I didn't have to plead. I didn't have to pass the plate again, he's saying. They gave, they gave abundantly. They gave overwhelmingly, even though they themselves could probably be recipients of this very same offering. They gave overwhelmingly, overflowing their concern for others in the midst of their own poverty. Is that not the same picture of that widow? Could she not have used those two mites? Would that not have benefited her? But out of her own poverty, she gives the needs of others. cause of others from what I've read that that place where this widow has given her coins her two mites is is not the place of tithing it's the place where you give for the care of others she gives all she has Others give out of their abundance, but she gave out of her poverty. Paul says, this is the example. This this is the model that you Corinthians need to be looking at. A model, now note this, that they begged, verse 4, us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. It's almost as if, you know, Paul almost hesitated. You know, do I really want to bring this? These people are so poor themselves. But they begged for the privilege of being able to give. It's a grace that only God can give. Verse 5, And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Paul explains to us how it is that these Macedonians were able to do such. You see, they had given full surrender to Christ. They gave themselves to Christ. They gave themselves to the Lord. If I give myself to the Lord, then everything that I have is the Lord's then as well. Now, we know from a theological standpoint that God in his sovereignty owns the cattle on the thousand hills. It's all from him. But you see, there is an added significance here that when, when we say we, we surrender our lives to Christ, we give it to Christ, that Christ is our Lord and Master. Okay? But that means 
that my wallet is no longer my wallet. This is Christ. This belongs to him. That's what the Macedonians understood. I'm not sure all of us necessarily living in this century of America grasp that concept. I think many are willing to give their heart to the Lord, but they're unwilling to give their wallet to the Lord. They're they're willing to give their heart and soul to the Lord, but they're not willing to give their time to the Lord. They're willing to give their heart to the Lord, but not their worship. The Macedonians, Paul said, give us a model of giving. Why are they the model? Because they first gave themselves to the Lord. And then, as they had opportunity to give to the cause of the kingdom. Then to the workers. Then to the gift. Then to this needy church in Jerusalem. So after looking at this model, Paul then turns to the Corinthians now and says, okay, you need to finish this task. You need to finish this work. First of all, he tells them, in order to do that, I'm sending Titus. Titus is on his way. Titus is going to come. He started this project, and he is going to complete this project, this act of grace. And notice how Paul keeps emphasizing this now. Okay, Verse 6, this act of grace, act of grace. Okay, It, comes, it just keeps coming back throughout this whole section. The fact that, that this, this ability to give, this desire to give, is born out of God's grace. So he's saying, first of all, I'm sending Titus to do this. Okay? Be ready. He's going to be there. And when he comes, I don't... Paul is kind of setting the stage. I don't want Titus to have to spend a lot of time dealing with this gift. Just collect it. Have it ready. Then Paul tells him, An interesting thing. Look with me at verse 7. He says, but as you excel in everything. Now there's a little hint there. Uh, If you remember 1 Corinthians, okay? In the letter to 1 Corinthians, this church thought it was pretty it. They, They thought they were the church par excellence. In fact, if you continue reading verse 7, but as you excel in everything, in faith, they, they thought their, their faith was far superior to everybody else. Speech, their ability to communicate, their talking, the gifts, okay, the gifts of prophecy and so on, the gifts of tongues. Okay? See, he's, that's all playing into here. Okay? In knowledge, okay, the, the fact of, of this secret knowledge that some of them supposedly have, and in all earnestness. In other words, in their passion for the kingdom. So Paul is saying, look, I know the kind of church you are. I know you excel in many spiritual gifts. Now he's not saying this just to be 
kind of, you know, uh, grease the wheel in order that they give a lot. He, he's being serious. A lot of what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, okay, he, he's not disparaging the fact that they have those gifts. He's just saying you're making too much of your gift. You're, you're using it to, to, to become the center of focus. And, and you're using your gift of knowledge. You're using your gift of speech. You're using your gift of tongues, whatever it was, in order to call attention to yourself rather than to bring glory to Christ. So Paul says, I know you have gifts, but you need to excel as well. In this act of grace too, verse 7. See that you excel in this act of grace too. See that you excel in this gift of giving. This gift of living generously. So here comes Paul's word. Corinthians. Folks are a gifted lot. They know the desire of your heart is to give for this offering. For some reason or other, you haven't done this. I know you excel. You've got a lot of good things there in Corinth. This, too, is one that you need to excel in. Now, tonight, if if you come back, you're going to hear one of the reasons why Paul believes they need to excel. Here, it's because this is the right thing to do. Because this church has the ability. See, Corinth, unlike the churches of Macedonia, is wealthy. The church at Corinth is flowing with money. This is the church everybody looks to. There's the wealthy church. There's the rich church. So they have the ability. For them, this is not going to be giving out of poverty. For them, it's we have an abundance. What are we going to do with it? How are we going to make use of it? Paul says, excel. Excel in the grace giving because this will prove your love verse 8 I say this not as a command but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine remember how that whole discussion in 1st Corinthians goes 1st Corinthians chapter 12 is the chapter on spiritual gifts How did Paul conclude chapter 12? If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am only a clanging gong, a noisy symbol. It concludes with chapter 13, the chapter on love. Paul has already set down the standard that all gifts, all gifts are there so that we might love. Love is to be at the root of all the gifts, of all the grace that God gives. So here's Paul again, tying it back in now to that which he has written in this first letter. You excel in all these gifts. Here's another gift that you should excel in, this gift of living generously. Why? 
because that demonstrates your love. Why should you give? Because it is a demonstration of your love. Well, can I demonstrate my love in other ways? Yes, you can. But not giving is not one of them. Our giving is to be a demonstration of our love. So let me go back to the intro. Okay? Where we where we talked about the fact that we're in, we're in good financial situation. You have given generously. If we connect the dot, let's hope we can connect the dot that we gave generously out of our love. Out of love. Not out of compulsion. Not to make a name for ourselves. Not to win some favors. We give out of love. Dad, why do you write that check every week? Why do you put that thing in that budget envelope? Well, that's what the church expects, son. That's not the answer. Might be the answer some people give. But it's out of love. To prove love. And then Paul says, because you see, that is the example that Christ set for us. I don't. I know we in the Reformed community don't don't talk much or deal much with the example of Christ because we're afraid we're going to go down some liberal path and we're going to you know just look at Christ as some great model and forget all about the salvation and everything like that. Okay, I would hope and trust that by now you know I would not go down that route. Sometimes what we've done is we've sacrificed the model. Christ is our example. Paul says he's our example in how? Verse 9. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. Think of the song we sang. Once in royal David City. Where is he born? How is he born? What's the family he's born into? He's not born into wealth. He's born into poverty. He's not born in a palace. He's born in a stable. He's not wrapped with the finest of claws. He's wrapped in old, thrown-out, priestly garments that have been torn into strips. It's not only his birth, it's his life. He who was the Son of God, Christ, adored by the angels, in glory, comes to this place where he hungers, where he thirsts, where he tires. where he deals not with adoring angels, but with ornery disciples. Not with those singing holy, 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 but those who are crying, crucify him, crucify him. 
who has to have his life placed on trial. Charged with the very thing that he himself can never do. He's charged with blaspheming, but you can't blaspheme yourself. Then, as Paul wrote to the Philippians, he humbles himself even to that horrific death. Yet for your sakes, he became poor, so that by his poverty, you might become rich. Why do we give out of love? Because that's the example we see in our Lord and in our Savior. It is out of his love that he comes. It is out of his love that he lives. It is out of his love that he suffers. It is out of his love that he dies. And that is there, my friends, not only for our theological understanding of our salvation, but it is there as his example of how we are to live as well. Corinthians, you need to give out of your love. Because look at Christ. And then Paul goes on to say, Listen, I don't know how much the offering at Corinth is going to be. He says, you know, it's not really the amount that I'm concerned about. It's the willingness to supply the needs of others. It's the willingness to do so. You began this a year ago. Are you really willing to meet the needs of those saints in Jerusalem. It, it would be like Paul saying today, I don't care if you take the offering and there's $100. If, if $100 is all that you can gather out of Corinth for this particular reason, for this particular cause, fine. But give it willingly. I know what the Macedonians have done. It's probably going to pale into comparison to what you in, in Corinth have done. Just give willingly. Just give faithfully. Seeking to supply their needs. Because you know what? Paul lays down a rule for us. He says when we look out for others, God watches for us. so that in their abundance may supply your need. And he says, you know what example I'm going to give of that? I'm going to give the example of manna. Who supplied the need of the Israelites? God did. He gave them everything they needed. Water, food, manna. God did. He gave them water from a rock. God did. Who opened up the sea? God did. Who protected them from their enemies? God did. God supplies our needs. And He gives to us a grace that enables us to supply the needs of others by living 
generously. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you. Thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, for our salvation. There's no hope, no hope of salvation without that shed blood of Jesus Christ. But Father, we thank you as well that he was the one who came to be not only priest, but also prophet and king, so that by his word and by his life, we too might know truth. And by his life, he has testified to us how we too are to live. And so again, Father, we thank you. We thank you for the abundance that you have blessed us with. We thank you for the generosity that has been on display in this past year from this congregation. Father, may our foundation, may our motivation for that have been out of love for Jesus Christ. May it have come from a grace that has been given by you. And we pray, Father, that as we move forward, we might continue that which you have called us to, to be faithful in this act of grace as well. In Christ's name and for Christ's glory, we pray. And God's people say, Amen.